Hear the word of God from Isaiah 40 and Matthew 3. Isaiah 40, 1 through 5. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And now, Matthew 3, 1-12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who is spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight a path for him. John's clothes were made out of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went to him from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat in the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church family. I'm so excited to be preaching this word to you this morning. And as we set our sights on new beginnings, I pray that it comforts you and that it readies us as, as the Lord prepares our way into next year. And as we begin to, to look ahead, as we begin to think about this, this new year upcoming, we, we tend to approach the end of most years with, with excitement and, and optimism about what might be. We make new plans. We commit to embracing new habits. We, we promise to be new people. And most years we do this knowing we, we, we probably won't make much progress. Come, come February or March, we'll be back to doing what we've always done. But at least we tried, right? At, at least we tried. But having gone through what we've been through in 2020, at this point, does anybody think New Year's resolutions sound like a good idea? Sure, there, there are some hopeful prospects for us. But what do we really have to look forward to next year? Maybe more than you think. For many of us, these, these past nine months have felt like a mini-exile. Our former way of living has been stripped from us. And it happened like a thief in the night. During a season of, of plenty. It came faster than any of us would have thought. And it disrupted more of life than any of us could have anticipated. Psalm 137.1 says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. 
And I wonder if some of us have looked back on this year wondering what could have been, where we used to be. You're looking back to the days before masks and mandates with sadness filling your hearts. You're asked to, to sing, but you don't feel like singing. You're asked to celebrate, but, but what's there to celebrate? It seems like the lights are, are growing dimmer, not brighter. Relationships are more tense than you can remember. Sins more concrete than abstract. The witness of the church shaky and, and unattractive. That's what we're told. And so we look forward to the day when these days are past us. But let's be honest, we need more than a vaccine. We need more than a return to life as we knew it because we have more problems now. Or maybe these problems have always been there and we're just now becoming aware of it. Maybe what we really need now is a prophetic voice to cry out to us, a voice that finally has our undivided attention. We're listening. A voice offering comfort in our sorrows. A voice of revival and renewal. A voice preparing the way forward for us. What's the way forward? Which brings us to our text this morning in Isaiah and Matthew. And as we turn to these prophetic voices, I have two questions that I want us to consider. First, how does God comfort broken and hurting people? How does God comfort broken and hurting people? And second, how do we prepare ourselves to receive it? How do we prepare ourselves to receive this comfort? Hopefully that'll make sense as we go. But first, some context. Isaiah, speaking in his own day, has warned Israel time and time again about the coming judgment of God. And we've, we've been talking about this. One of the major themes traced throughout the first 39 chapters of Isaiah is judgment. Of course, there's this parallel theme of hope that's, that's littered throughout. But the problem is not that God is lacking in kindness. The problem is the kind of people God is dealing with in the first place. And chapter 39 ends this major section with the scene showing us what it looks like when the underlying heart problem finally begins to surface. Up to this point, maybe Israel has been able to deny, deny, deny because they don't see what the big deal is. You talk about these problems, Isaiah, but where are they? But then, right before the curtains close for intermission, you see this problem materialize. It's un unavoidable. Babylonian rulers catch news of King Hezekiah's miraculous recovery. He's been deathly ill, so they write to visit. They wanna, they wanna see this, this spectacle this miraculous recovery. Hezekiah, of course, he obliges. He's flattered. Surely you've had people be complimentary to you before. It goes straight to your head. It lifts your spirits. It's, it's amazing how quick flattery can conflate your self-image while blurring the worth of God in your life. So when Bab Babylon comes knocking, the king doesn't tell them about the God who heals, but rather, he shows them all of his treasures as if to give validation to the, to the attention that he's, get, that he's getting. It's an unfortunate blunder. And Hezekiah, he, he doesn't even notice. 
So the prophet Isaiah paints the picture for him. He comes to Hezekiah and he's like, what, what just happened? What, what did you do? What did you tell them? What did you talk about? Where did they come from? Hezekiah's like, yeah, they came to see me. They came from foreign lands. They came far away to see me. And so Isaiah paints this picture of a future of disaster, of ruin for Jerusalem. Even Hezekiah's descendants will be servants under foreign kings. Hezekiah's response, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good. Isaiah 39, eight says, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. There will be peace and security in my lifetime. Those are the final words for Isaiah's day. Shallow and insincere. But this is what people do. We, we look at our immediate circumstances and we, and we rummage for whatever consolation we can find. I, I love sp following sports drafts. And I, I know what you're thinking. Why? why? Why would you care? There's no action. There's no entertainment. I mean, what's the appeal? Well, every year the NFL draft comes around and, and I watch because I want to know who my team's going to pick. A high draft pick after a bad season is, is a consolation of sorts. It's a hope for a better tomorrow. Every fan who says, well, there's always next year, there's always next year, is hoping for someone who's going to change trajectories. Who can change these circumstances so we don't keep getting the same results? But for Hezekiah, what future? At least my lifetime will be okay. But beyond that, now we see a time lapse between the end of chapter 39 and the beginning of chapter 40. And in chapter 40, Isaiah is now speaking to a people who have lived the realities that Hezekiah only heard as a distant nightmare. Hezekiah looked for comfort and consolation. He's not above moral victories. What else does he have? And isn't that how we resolve to comfort ourselves when things are bad? We tell ourselves it, it could be worse. Maybe tomorrow will be better. So if that's how we comfort ourselves, what comfort does God offer? How does God comfort broken and hurting people? Our first question. Chapter 40 opens with, with the words, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Now here, just imagine a people slouched over with their hands in their, in, with their, with their head in their hands just weeping. Here's how God deals with fickle, frustrated people like us who have reached our breaking point. He reminds us of his relational nearness. My people... Your God. Now picture the strong hand of God consoling the backs of the broken, saying, Breathe. It's okay. I'm here. But then, then there's these troubling words with God's supposed comfort. We read on in, in verse 2. Verse 2 continues. Proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Hmm. 
Is the tender voice of God's comforting words really what it sounds like? Double for, for all her sins? As if God were saying, you don't have to worry anymore. You've already endured the worst of it. You can definitely handle whatever comes next. It's only up from here, right? As if that the, is the, the, the tender pep talk of God. No. That's not what the Lord is saying. Look again. What's the double in relation to? If you read this, this verse again, when it, when it refers to the Lord's hand, okay, let's keep this in mind. When it, when it refers to the Lord's hand, the Bible is talking about the strength of God. It's talking about the strength of God. And God doesn't demonstrate his strength in judgment, but by his saving grace and gentle mercy. What we receive from the Lord's hand is not double judgment, but double of, of God's payment for us. The payment is the ransom he makes, not the debt we incur. To draw this out a little more for us, Isaiah 40, 10, if we, if we jump ahead in, in, in chapter 40 of Isaiah, a few verses, in, in verse 10, it speaks of the sovereign Lord coming in power with his mighty hand. And then verse 11 gives us the word picture for what this mighty hand looks like. Listen, it says, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. That's the strength of God, carrying his lost sheep close to his heart. Were you expecting overbearing? Were you expecting a God who makes you recoil as you're forced to confront your own unworthiness? One who says, you've gotten what you deserve. Well, Instead, you get the God who looks at bad decisions and bad circumstances and says, hey, we're in this together. In other words, God is saying, find comfort, my people, because the mercy I have to offer far exceeds the worst you could do. My mercy is double. It's excessive, abundant. Our good news this morning is not to be found in the circumstances around us. The kind of turning point we need is not more of what capitalism has to offer. It's not more of what democracy has to offer. It's not even what more research and discovery has to offer. Our good news this morning is that when trouble finds us, we get more of God's presence with us. There is an end to the circumstances that discourage, but there is no end to the comfort God provides. There is no end to the, God, to the comfort God provides. Our troubled selves and our troubled times are never beyond the kind hand of God's deliverance. And so God's sending a message to us in advance. He's saying, get ready. Your circumstances are about to change. I'm on the way. God chooses to burden himself with the yoke of his people. And what can't we overcome with the help of our Lord? God in his kindness comforts us. And the Apostle Paul tells us in, in Romans that, that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. So our first question is how does God comfort broken and hurting people? Through the advance of his mighty hand delivering us 
through His saving grace. Our second question, how do we prepare ourselves to receive it? How do we get ready for the coming of the Lord? What does that even mean? What does that obligate us to? What, what do we need to do? And so we look at Matthew 3 and Isaiah, Isaiah 40 together. Isaiah 40 verses 3 and 4 say, In the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. I had a friend in, in high school who, whose family was Mormon, and she would, she would tell me her family was, was okay with, with bending some of the rules that, that come with Mormonism, if, if you will, they, that they thought maybe were, were outdated. She didn't always understand it, but she, she knew that, that these were the rules that her family set or the things that, that they were willing to do. And, and so she, she followed and, and tried to um, do as, as her family, as her parents taught her. And so Mormons aren't supposed to drink alcohol or, or coffee or tea, but, but for her family, her parents wanted their, their coffee in the morning. Except when the grandparents came to visit. Then it was like spring cleaning. She'd say everything, everything needed to, be, to look immaculate. The, the house needed to be in order. Everything needed to be in its place. And inappropriate beverages needed to be put away. Because when certain people come to town, sometimes you need to make special arrangements. But preparing for the Lord's arrival means way more than hiding the liquor in the coffee machine. And Matthew's gospel tells us as much. We need our lives disrupted by the advance of the gospel. But preparing the way and making straight a highway for our God has less to do with putting away the things we don't want God to see and more to do with the upheaval of our hearts for his holiness. We've been saying during Advent that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. But what do we put in the way as obstacles for receiving him? What hurdles does Jesus have to clear to, to get to us? What stipulations are we holding onto with tight fists? Do we even have the courage for this kind of honest self-assessment? Now, notice as, as we're looking at, as we turn to Matthew 3, notice that John the Baptist doesn't burst onto the scene assuming a prominent political position or grabbing at seats of power but rather he's making this repenting, cleansing message accessible, the preparation possible in the desolate places of everyday people. Let that not be lost on us. Matthew 3.1 says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And what's his message? What's this renewal that people keep talking about that's causing a stir in the countryside? Why are, why are there people flocking in waves to come see him, to hear him, to, to get in the waters and, and to, be, to be cleansed? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near, verse 2 says. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the, this is the disrupting advance of the gospel in our lives. This is the good news of God on the horizon. The prophetic voice of John's ministry is calling for pride to be humbled, unjust anger to be softened, 
people who revile one another to reconcile and be healed, the poor and weak to be cared for, relief for the ailing. It's a startling reality, a breathtaking display of life transformation. Can you imagine? People we always thought far off coming and being washed clean, disputing neighbors, making things right. Could a love the world has been craving really be piercing through? Now, again, notice, notice again the two differing postures present in Matthew 3 with John, while John is baptizing at the Jordan. We see this in verses 5 and 6, and in verse 7. When John the Baptist is calling people to repent and be baptized, this isn't just religious ritual. Nor is it a call for people to act in self-interest to get on God's good side. That's not what's happening. That would contradict bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, like verse 8 says. No, these people are demonstrating genuine contrition for sin and being washed clean. In other words, repentance is a sign of increasing progress in trusting God. Repentance is a sign of increasing progress in trusting God. It's humbling us. And John is inviting all people within the region, Jews and Gentiles, to embrace this cleansing as a way of readying their hearts for the coming Messiah. But in verse 7, in verse 7 it says, the religious leaders had come to where John was baptizing. Meaning, they weren't coming to be baptized, but they had come to the location where the baptisms were happening. They have a posture of resistance. And why wouldn't they? They're the pure in heart. They have no clear outward sense. If you think about it, they're just like the people Isaiah was speaking to in his day. Maybe, maybe we haven't advanced as, as far along as we think. Their good deeds, their, their religious observance and ethnic privilege as children of Abraham was actually producing in them a callousness towards God's people and a contentment with their own self-righteousness. They lacked eyes to see their own shortcomings and the obstacles they put in the way of encountering the Messiah. No wonder their relationship with Jesus is one of constant friction and disagreement. How about ours? What's your relationship with Jesus looking like? You see, the repentance John calls for is not the storing up of good works to show before the Lord on the day of his arrival. We know Jesus is coming again. Nor is it a self-consuming posture of, woe is me. When will, I ever, when will I ever amount to God's perfection? No, it's a daily call to, to submit to the life-transforming rule of God in our lives right now, day by day, moment by moment. I love how Pastor Ray Ortland puts it when describing how our repentance is meant to free us to receive God's glorious blessing. He says, the word translated prepare means to clear out. It's like spring cleaning. This is going back even to Isaiah. It's like spring cleaning. The, the king is coming with blessings in his hands for you. So, empty your hands. Clear away the obstacles to his glory entering your world. God is calling us to open up. That's what it means to prepare. Our repentance is open-handedness toward the Lord. 
a humble posture, ready to receive God into our lives. That's what we need more of in 2021. Our preparing, our ridding ourselves of these lesser things is actually so that we can receive more of God, more of His grace, more of His comfort, more of His kindness. That abundance, that excessiveness, that lavishness for you. He's coming to give it to you. Will you, will you rich yourself, will you open yourself up to him to receive it? Tim Keller puts it this way when talking about repentance. He says, repentance is repeatedly tapping into the joys of our union with Christ in order to weaken our need to do anything contrary to God's heart. to weaken our need to do anything contrary to God's heart. That's the kind of renewal we need. When did we stop doing that? When did we stop repenting like that? Together, the prophetic voice of Isaiah and John are asking us what obstacles do we need to lay waste to, to toss to the side altogether as Jesus comes near to us. This isn't about religious performance. This is about the gospel taking root in our lives and bearing the fruit of repentance. That we grow in humility as our pride dies away. That we grow in our fervor for the Lord as our indifference toward Him and taste for worldly pleasure subsides. That we grow in wisdom from His word taking shape in our lives. That we grow in courage as we cast our anxieties onto Him. That is what it means to bear fruit in keeping with repentance in our lives. This is what it means for us to prepare the way to receive the Lord, to ready ourselves to receive Him. And so as we come to a close, our call as, as, as we approach 2021, our, our New Year's resolution, if you will, is to be a community of believers bearing witness to the coming of God's glory to be a community of believers bearing witness to the coming of God's glory. Isaiah 45 says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. If life feels like it's in transition right now for you, don't be afraid. The very disruption of our lives can be ripe ground for God to make some of the greatest progress in our lives. Since the start of this pandemic, I, I've been praying. I've been praying that God would use it to spark a spiritual awakening among us. And by all appearances of surrounding circumstances and problems mounting ahead of me, what it tells me is that that's unlikely. It's unlikely to see this kind of awakening, except that God is with us and His Spirit is on the move. I can't deny it. And so I'm going to keep praying because I believe His promises are coming true. If we take God's Word seriously, and I think we should, then we should believe Isaiah 45 is the future of the world. Meaning God's glory is our coming reality. But that's only exciting. It's only exciting if you understand God's glory. And we can understand God's glory because it's something we've already begun to experience. God's glory is God himself being made visible 
And verse 5 says it's so potent that all people will see it together. And what we see happening in Matthew 3 is the very beginning of this promise being fulfilled. That all people together are seeing the glory of God coming about. It's not all at once, but ever increasing. Seeing God as he really is means to experience the the disrupting power of his saving grace through the continued advance of his salvation among broken and hurting people. In other words, the more we live out the effects of the gospel in our lives, hear this, the more we honor one another above ourselves, the more we demonstrate our spiritual fervor for the Lord, the more patient we are in affliction and faithful in prayer, the more we share with those who are in need and embody genuine Christian hospitality, when we are actually resolved to bless those who persecute us rather than repay them insult for insult, the more we overcome evil with good, when we show that it actually is possible to live in harmony under the banner of Christ and to devote ourselves to loving others as Christ has loved us, when we are resolved to live like this, we show the world, and ourselves for that matter, that the gospel is true. We're not just resolved to live this way. We should be eager to because we realize God is onto something. He's onto something. This is what the comfort and disruption is producing. And it completes our joy not to, to not only live like this, but to invite others into it. It's too good not to. This is what it means to bear witness to the coming glory of God, which we will see in full when Jesus returns. But until that day, let's invite others to experience the beauty of God's coming glory through his church, through his bride. Let's live like this. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this this is an encouraging word for us to receive, that you are not a God who comes with condemnation, but with comfort. God, that you, you are doing something in our day. You are disrupting our, our, the very fabric of our lives so that we might, be, we might be receiving the fullness of your blessings through, through your gospel, through the salvation you have come to offer, that you come to bring, that you have, have made possible through your son, Jesus. God, we pray, we pray for the advance of this message. We pray for the advance of this gospel in our own lives, that we might walk in, in daily repentance as we receive you as we walk in in faithfulness to you, as we receive this kindness, as we welcome it in. This is our way forward, Lord, is what you are doing. God, may you have your way. May May you advance your gospel. And God, as you are inviting us in, I pray that we would be this beautiful picture, this this beautiful picture for the world to see. It is so attractive. The beauty of of your people being living out the, the realities of the gospel in our lives. That's what we need. That's what our world needs. That's what our city needs. We need a breath of fresh air. And it comes through being who you've called us to be as you are redeeming us, as you're making us whole, complete in you. God, lift us up, we pray. Gear us up for this new year. Lift up our spirits, lift up ourselves that we might press on.
We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.